Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. Let's pick up on Revelation 21. You see, I thought we were through with Revelation. No, I hadn't finished 21 and 22, so I have to finish that. I took a break so that we could talk about what I believe is the next event that's going to be happening on the prophetic calendar, and I believe that has to be with Ezekiel 38 and 39. I think we're going to see some sort of approaching northern army coming upon Israel to conquer Israel, or at least to attempt to, and we're going to see God do a great work uh, in destroying those armies. So I think we've got a, a big uh, amount of uh, uh, signs ahead for us, that, which could happen uh, pretty much any day. Okay. So I want to pick up here. I'm going to have some things I think may be new for some of you, uh, some things I think that are necessary to understand as we just look at what God's Word has to say. So let's pick up the first thing. And it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Would you just turn back with me for a moment to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. In the former creation, the one that we're living in now, we're really living in the second phase of that one. The first phase was up to the time of the flood. Second phase has been after the flood. That's what we're living in. By the way, I forgot to ask Thank you for remembering to pass out those sermons, guys. We do have a sermon outline for today, all right? We do have a sermon outline for today. In Genesis chapter 1, God gives us, they're, they're, on their, they're at the back, they're on their way to the front right now. I appreciate that, guys, very much. In Genesis chapter 1, gives, God gives us a six-day account, that's six-literal-day account of what happened at creation. He's not giving us a science explanation. What he's giving to us is an explanation that counters all the other explanations that have been given. These, these are a people, Moses is writing this, he's writing it to a people who've been living in Egypt for 400 years. And for those 400 years, they've been hearing the Egyptian account of how creation happened. They know the Babylonian account. They know the Akkadian account. Remember, they lived earlier in a Gentile region, so they'd heard the accounts there of creation. So they've got a lot of accounts of creation in their head. God wants them to have the real account. He tells them what happened in six days. He didn't tell them how he did it. He told them that he did it and in the manner in which it was done, in the logical manner in which it was done. Everybody with me? So he's, he's not trying to give 21st century people a scientific explanation for things. He doesn't have to. He's already said what he did. That's enough, if you follow where I'm coming from, all right? In Genesis 1, he gives us that account. So as you come down to the end of Genesis chapter 1, uh, he says in verse 29 to the a couple he's just created. See, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. So our food was vegetarian. And also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I've given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. All right, so that is a thumbnail sketch real quick of six days of creation and a seventh day in which you rested. And then pick up on chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. There was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, and he became a living being. All right? 
Then it's going to explain to us what the man was and what the man was to do. And then it explains to us he caused the man to sleep, and from that he created woman. Everybody with me? So chapter 2 is a detailed explanation of what happened in chapter 1. Everybody follow me? It's important that you, you, you follow what I'm doing here. Chapter 2 is a detailed explanation of what he did in chapter 1. Chapter 2 is the sixth day of creation. If you're with me there, everybody just go like this. Yeah, all right. Now let's go back to Revelation 21. Revelation 21 is a detailed explanation of what he did in Revelation 20. All right? The new heavens and the new earth are for the millennial kingdom. Everybody with me on this? It's not after the millennial kingdom is over like a chronology because it's not chronological to go from 20 to 21. 20 has us ever, everything ended completely. 21 is a detailed explanation for how the kingdom begins, not how it ends. This is not about the eternal place. I don't know what the eternal place is going to be. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, And when Jesus had completed his kingdom, he took that kingdom, that's the millennial kingdom, he takes that kingdom and delivers it to his Father. That kingdom, the one we're reading about here in Revelation, is given to the Father, and I don't know what happens to it at that point. That is our eternal existence. But what's happening in the millennial kingdom is the reason God wanted to say, I've created the first heavens and the first earth. I judged it by flood. I'm going to restore it one day to a new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah 65, 66 says that, should say. And I'm going to have it like I intended it back there. Everybody with me? So that's what that is. Then once he's finished that process of what he wanted to do, the whole thing goes into eternity. And I don't see an explanation for that in the Word of God. I just simply see that this is where it takes us to. You are going to have bodies. Why? That is the way he created you. Humans have bodies. You're going to have a resurrection body, but it's a body nonetheless. You follow me? That's what humans do. You are not going to live in heaven as a spirit strumming harps. That's just not what's true. You are going to have a real body. You are going to dwell in a heavenly city. You are going to live there, and we're going to find out about that this morning. But it's in a new heavens and a new earth. Everybody with me? Let's talk about why. New heavens and new earth, are the, for the first heaven and earth, had passed away. What was the first heaven and first earth like when Jesus returned? Well, let's just remind ourselves a few things. Just before Jesus returned, God had just poured out seven bowls of wrath on the earth. And if you remember what those seven bowls of wrath did, it turned the sea to blood. It turned a third of the waters to undrinkable, deadly water. He put enough blood so that there was blood up to the horse's bridles that was on that whole earth, or I should say at the battlefield of Armageddon. That's a lot of blood still for that. He had done all kinds of things with this uh, a, a meteor or whatever it was that struck. Things have been dying all over the place. Kids, that's not a pleasant place to be putting the millennial kingdom. You understand what I'm going to say? The thing's messed up. It's really messed up. It's dirty. It's nasty. Here's what our Lord had said. Even in his own law, you shall not touch anything that's dead lest you be unclean. Well, if you're going to be living on a planet that's full of blood, dead things, uh, and, and all kinds of poisons around, you're going to be unclean for the whole millennium. There's never going to be a time that you can't be around that stuff. It's 
everywhere. So what God's doing is getting rid of the current earth, phase two even, getting rid of that by fire and uh, explosion. Let me see if I can show you where that, that is. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Pick up with me at verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 3. Here he's told us, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. What's going to happen? In the day of the Lord, the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. That's fire, kids. That's fire. That is the world's, the cosmos' largest atomic explosion. We know enough about what happens with atoms, and I'm, I'm certainly no expert to talk about any of that. We know that there, when you start doing things to atoms, things get a little wild. And explosions take place, and heat takes place, and there's all kinds of, this is an atomic explosion carried out by the living one. I just want you to know, those atoms hold together by the word of his power. That's what we're told in the word of God. All things congeal according to his word. What he says, if he says hold together, it holds together. If he says let go, they all let go. If he says, Lazarus, rise from the dead, Lazarus rises from the dead. Not all the dead, just Lazarus. But if he said, may all the dead rise, Father has already given to him, according to John chapter 5, the authority over all living and dead things, that things can come to life. That's who he is. And this same Lord Jesus, upon his return, when he's finished with the things he's done, is burning this planet with fire. It's an explosion. It, it takes over. It's a new heavens and a new earth that have to follow that. Matter of fact, let, uh, I, I stopped right there. That's not the end of the passage. Just look at what it says again. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth, earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and, God, and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Wow, okay, so that takes care of destruction. But that doesn't tell me where I'm going to live. Well, let's go on to the next verse. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So what are the people looking for? A new heaven and a new earth. They're not looking forward to the explosion. That's not, that's not what we're about. We're not looking forward to a destruction of everything. We're looking for the new heavens and the new earth. But of necessity, there must be a destruction of the old stuff first. Fair enough? Listen, all things are passing away and all things are becoming new. That's what he's really about. Let me show you a couple other places. Let's go to Isaiah 34 just for a moment. Isaiah 34. So keep your finger right here in Revelation 21. Turn to Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34, 1 to 4. Here, the, the Lord says through Isaiah, Come near you nations to hear, and heed you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and his fury is against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. That's Armageddon. That's the end of the, the last battle. Also their, their slain shall be thrown out, their stench shall rise up from the corpses, corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their host shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine, as a fruit falling from a fig tree. All right. 
So he's shaking this whole thing up. He's starting all over again. Pick up with me at Isaiah uh, 24, Isaiah 24, 19 and 20. Just a few chapters back there. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it, and it will fall and not rise again. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones. Now, remember we've talked about before the divine council and all the members of that. Here he speaks of his judgment of that divine council. He told him he was going to do it in chapter uh, uh, Psalm 82. Here he's doing it. He's judging them, and part of it is the destruction of the whole cosmos. It shall come to pass in that day, 21, that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones, and on the earth the kings of the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and will be shut up in the prison. After many days they'll be punished. Then the moon will be disgraced, the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem before his elders gloriously and pick up in Isaiah 65. I may change that to 66 in a minute. Let get there to see. Let me see. Well, okay. Yes. Here we go, Isaiah 66, 17. No, 65, 17. Here we go. 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, a joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. That's what's taking place on the earth in the new heavens and the new earth. Everybody with me? Now let's go back to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. As I've said in your outline, number three under A, this is the start of the millennium discussed in Revelation 20. It's similar to Genesis 1 and 2. Now, I don't know these because I don't think I can find enough biblical statements about it. Perhaps the various judgments will come first. I don't know whether they're going to judge first. I'm leaning to think um, that the new heavens and new earth then would follow that. But I'm lean, leaning to think that it would be the opposite of that, that the new heavens and the new earth will be made and then judgment takes place. And my only reason for thinking that that might be the way it is is that Jesus says to those in Matthew 25 when he returns, the sheep and the goats are present. He says to the sheep, I was a stranger. You took me in. I needed food. You fed me. I, I needed uh, help and you were with me because you have done so well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your kingdom well if they're entering into the joy of the kingdom there has to be a kingdom for them to enter into so i'm thinking maybe the judgments take place after this new heavens and new earth because it was promised that when he returns the present heavens and earth pass away they fade they're gone so there's a new heavens and new earth, therefore a judgment to take place. The, the ones who are found guilty and of unbelief and that sort of thing, they don't go to earth again. They go instead to the lake of fire. Everybody with me? That's where they're going. All right. Uh, let's follow this then. 
New Jerusalem is the city that is in heaven. The earthly Jerusalem is modeled after it. Now, uh, let's state this. The things of earth are shadows of the true and heavenly one. All right, that's what's always been said here. So I want you to get this picture here. There is a city of God in heaven, the, Jer- the Jerusalem of heaven. And shadowing it is the Jerusalem on earth where you're supposed to gather in, or the, the, the children of Israel are supposed to gather in three times a year. They're supposed to have celebrations there to remember that God is with them there. They celebrate Passover there. They celebrate Pentecost there. And they celebrate the, 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 the Feast of Booths there. That's the place he wanted them. He wanted them to be reminded that there's a central place you're coming. That's modeled after the Jerusalem that's in heaven. If you remember, Moses was shown a tabernacle in heaven, and God told him to make a tabernacle on earth just like that one. So when he makes this tabernacle on earth, it's modeled exactly like the one that's already in heaven. And he's now filling certain craftsmen with his spirit, his own spirit, to make sure those craftsmen do it exactly like they're supposed to do it. You follow that? So this new Jerusalem is the one that Jesus has been preparing for us for all that time. He said, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. That's where you're going to live. Everybody with me? This is the description of your next home. When you have been resurrected, when you have had that last supper with the Lord Jesus Christ, when our marriage is consummated and we are with him forever, that's where you're going to live. But I want you to get this picture. It's a heavenly Jerusalem. It descends down, but it does not come to earth. It's above the earth. Matter of fact, That's what the light for the new earth is going to be. The old heavens and earth have passed away, but this bright, shining city in this rotating globe of those who are living on the earth, that's its day. When you get on the opposite side of it, that's its night. And when it turns again, that's its day. When it turns again, that's its night. Everybody everybody follow where I'm at? That's what this has done. That's where you're living. You say, but how do we get back and forth? We're way up in the heavens. Not a challenge. Not a challenge. You remember when Jacob was leaving because he knew that, man, Esau could kill me any day now. I've done some naughty things here. I, I'm, I need to... And he goes, and he's tired, and he lays down, and he puts a rock under his head. Now, i got to tell you, that shows you what kind of a guy this was. How many of you ever slept on a rock intentionally? I've slept on plenty of rocks unintentionally when camping, but I've not slept on one intentionally. I I just don't use them as my pillow. And maybe that's what affected what he saw next. But if you remember, what he saw next was a great staircase going up into the heavens, and he saw angels passing on that staircase back and forth, coming up, coming down, coming up, coming down. That was so impressive to him that he thought the place where he was, where all those angels are coming down, he called that place Bethel. Beth is the word that means house, and El is the word for God. He saw that. This is the house of God. You've got angels going back and forth, messengers going back and forth on this staircase. Wherever they're coming down, that's got to be the house of God because they're coming from the house of God. Kids, that's not going to be any different than what you're going to have. I I dare say, don't think you're going to have to have a staircase. You probably transport yourself like the one whom you've been made after. Jesus has this way of getting from one place to another pretty quickly. Matter of fact, walls don't create a problem for him. When the disciples are in locked doors behind the walls, Jesus just steps inside and talks to them. It is said in 1 John chapter 3, we don't know what we will be, but we know that when we see him, we'll be like him. 
I don't know if that means you're actually going to have scars like the Lord Jesus Christ has. I don't know what, but I know this, whatever body type he's got is the body type you got. That's what you're going to have as well. So it's not a difficulty for us to rule and reign with him, being able to pass back and forth between the two. Who's going to be in that city? Well, this week we're going to talk about who's going to be in that city. Then I want to talk next week about who's going to be on the earth. Well, more about the city, but who's going to be on the earth? Because there are people going to be in the earth and people are going to be in the city. Now, as I say this, do you remember back here when God is creating things? He creates things with diversity. They're not the same. People are not the same. He's going to create people different from one another. Adam and Eve are not identical. They are different from each other, and they're different because of a special reason he's got. Every leaf on every tree is not identical to every other leaf. Every branch doesn't grow up in a special, uh, only symmetrical way. They grow up according to the light that's available. And they are always adjusting. We can say a tree basically looks like this, but that depends on the tree. There are spruce trees there that grow up like a cone. Uh, up there, there are hemlock trees that, yeah, they're kind of cone-shaped, but they also have branches that just flatten out like this, and they're different from the spruce. God makes diversity. I want you to get this picture. In heaven is diversity. Unity in diversity, not uniformity. And that's what he intended here as well that we would learn to appreciate the diversity we have being united in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's what's exciting for me when I get to travel around the world and I get to see peoples of a lot of different ethnic groups who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's my diversity. And then when we're all together recognizing there's our unity, it's in Christ Jesus. There are going to be varying kinds of people in that city. But I, I, I don't want to get to that until we have another time. This one uh, is the one that Jesus promised to prepare, prepare for us. Number four in your outline, letter B. This one does come all, does not, does come all, no, I should say does not. Please put not in there. Apparently I was still in Alaska when I put that one. This one does not come all the way down to the earth. It is suspended above the earth, and it is the light for those who dwell in it. We'll see that in just a little while here. The condition is the environment of that city. I want you to look at it. It's the dwelling of God and His people with Him. Let's go back to verse 2. Then, now, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's beautiful, okay? And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. So one, one thing you can know about that. We know God's in heaven. How many of us have seen God? Like zero. None of us. But we can be aware of his presence from time to time, but the veil of our flesh keeps us from being with him. Remember, he, he wouldn't even let Moses get close to him. He said, he'd kill you. I'll, I'll, I'll let my glory pass by you, but I'm not going to let you see me. That would destroy you. Here, brothers and sisters, we will see him. The tabernacle of God is with men. Now, I just want to say this. To those of you who have to put up with a lot of ridicule and even family rejection because you're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, can I tell you, look beyond that. The day is coming, kids, as he describes it, when you will live with him forever in that city in perfect peace and harmony with the God you are aware of at every moment of the time. That's his promise to you. You'll be with him forever. You're in a union with him. So just hang in there if you're going through some tough times with that, all right? Those who live in the city are those who have believed God and his Christ. That's who's living in that city. Those who believed God and his Christ. Now you look at the backside. These are faithful. These are those who suffered with Christ, those who did not deny him, those who've walked in the Spirit. Now look, kids, this book is written for a people who are under persecution. Even the guy penning this book is there because he's under persecution. You follow that? 
Some of the people who were under persecution kowtowed. Some of them said, it's not worth it. You're talking about a kingdom that we've never seen. You're talking about a Savior that we've never seen. You're asking us to believe you. Well, I, I'm, I'm Greek, and I don't know why I ought to believe there's a Jew that, that saved me. They don't get along well. There were people who surrendered to that. They said, I'm not going to live in that. I'm not going to keep going. They can't live in this city. It's the people who believe him and stay with it when the going's tough. It's the people who suffer with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, by suffering, I don't mean that's necessarily persecution. Kids, when you suffer chronic illnesses, when you're suffering from rejection from someone, and you're not complaining about it, but instead receiving it as a gift of God to make you just like Jesus, you are suffering with Jesus. Does that make sense to you? That is suffering with Jesus. When you are living in a world that is dead set opposed, well, I should say it's, it's on the path to insanity or it is insane, and you're trying to be sane in an insane world, you are knowing what it is to suffer with the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? More so, when you stand boldly and proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ in the middle of that insanity. That's who gets to live in that city. They're the faithful ones. Those who suffer with Christ. Those who did not deny Him. Those who've walked in the Spirit. Because they have suffered with the Lord Jesus Christ, look what He says He will do. Behold the tabernacle, verse 3, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Here it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. To, To go through it and to suffer, and to know that that's caused you grief, or to know that some, some member of your family just hates you because you believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Makes fun of you just because you believe the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what tear that has caused to fall from your eyes. And you've seen it several times. And to know that, no, it's not one of your neighbors that's going to do that. No, it's not that blessed caretaker that has loved you through all of that. It is the Father who called you, and who made this place for you, who cares so much for you personally, that when that tear is falling, it's him who's wiping it. Why? Because he loves you. Because he does care what happens. He does know what you've been through. He does know what you're going through, and he's wiping it. Can you get that? And he's telling you, well, you have to cry again. I get it. I know why you cry. I made you to cry. I I made you so that you could. I know you feel it. And I'm here for you. You won't have to cry again. Okay? And he goes on then to say this. There should be no more death. Well, certainly, death is one of those things that brings a few tears, does it not? You know, this is... uh, Father's Day, and I want to say Happy Father's Day to all of you, all you fathers. I, God bless you. You know, as we were singing the old rugged cross, I remembered uh, that when we lived in Independence, Missouri, uh, Dad was able to find uh, fellow hillbillies. You know, I, Dad was from Arkansas, brought us up from Arkansas, and I don't know how, it's just like a magnet. I don't know whether it's your accent or whatever it gets you, but. Um, he was able to find fellow hillbillies. And when he found those fellow hillbillies, he found that they were believers too. And we would often wind up at hillbillies' house. You know, these are transplants who are living in Independence, Missouri. want going to make their fortune so they can go back home again. Okay, that's what dad was doing. Making his fortune so he could go back home again. When those hillbillies would get together, they'd get an old hymn book. 
and they would sit around the piano or guitars or whatever musical instrument they had. They'd sit around that, and they would sing till way into the night. They'd sing those old hymns. And I can remember being so tired, thinking, will we ever go home? Do they have extra beds here? And I would lay against my father's chest. My father was a bass singer. And when I would put my head against his chest, it resonated in my ear. And to this day, I hear that. When we sing the old rugged cross, I hear that. My dad loved God. My dad loved singing. My dad loved hymns. I'm grateful for my dad. I know that many of you are saying exactly the same thing. I'm grateful for my dad. I am glad that I had a father like that, and I'm glad that this father is our heavenly father and will be a father like that. If you you didn't have a good father, I'm sorry, but this is a good father. This is what a good father does. There'll be no more death. That's going to be gone. For those living in the city, everybody with me? This is about the people living in the city. It's not about the people on the earth. This is about the people living in the city. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. I'm going to move along here. Christ is changing all that. They'll never again experience death or the sorrows of this life. There'll be no more pain, for all things of this current age have passed away. All that physics, all that has gone from us now. It's not there anymore. Sin is not in that city. Only holiness is in that city. Only godliness is in that city. Everybody with me? And there's not going to be somebody sneak in to pull some sort of foolish little trick on us. No. It is completely clean, completely holy, completely good. He goes on to say this, there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And listen to what I said. This is the statement made by the one on the throne. Behold, I make all things new, verse 5 says. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. Listen, when the one on the throne dares to say, write these words down. You you mean everything else hasn't been? No, everything else has been too. But get this, write this down for all those people who are facing that persecution. Write this down for all those people who are being beat up every day by some Romans or some Jews or by whoever else, and you get these to them. These are true and faithful words. What I'm telling you, you can go to the bank on forever. Here's what he says. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. How much is it going to cost you? Nothing. You got to be thirsty. And when you're thirsty... This is the one that gives the water, all right? He goes on to say, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I'll be his God, and he shall be my son. Let's pick that up. Those who live in sin, those who thirst. He gives them freely of the fountain of the water of life. They are not satisfied with this world, knowing there is more, and they want that, mo- that more, which this world cannot give. They look for righteousness. They're thirsty for it. They know that this world is whacked. It's crazy. It's insane. This is not the way things are to be. There is a right thing. There is a right way for things to be. I long for that. And just like Abraham of old, who it says that he was not satisfied with this this planet, he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews chapter 11. He was looking for that new Jerusalem. He was looking for that city. Not, not its earthly shadow down here. No, for the one where you live that's full of holiness and godliness and righteousness. All right? Those who overcome, they will inherit all things and be God's people. They continue faithful when all threatened, lied to, tempted, rejected, and on. This world is a crazy world. Sometimes you don't want to hear any news. 
because you're thinking there can't be one good thing coming. And it seems that the news that comes each day gets a little freakier every moment. And you're thinking, what is the matter with people? How insane do you have to get? Why can you not see what's before your very eyes? You say, believe the science, believe the science, believe the science. And then you say, yeah, she's a he. What? I made a gross mistake, okay? We got off the boat, the the Baranoff wind. We get off the Baranoff wind, and there we are. I say, I'd like to get a picture of us. Here's me, Char, and Wayne. I'd like to get a picture of us there. So I stand there, and I keep looking around. If I could just find somebody. So I found this young man. Um, he's, He's walking down the way. He's got like mass of frizzy hair. It's going every place. He really looked like something out of the 70s. Well, anyway, he's got this mass of frizzy hair. He's wearing overalls that really are, are not his size. He's, he's got to be six, three, five, somewhere in there. And so they're, they're riding up here on him. And there are holes in the knees, and I see the holes in the knees. And, and I say, excuse me, sir. And he looked at me and said, my name is Naomi. I can't tell you. <laughs> Moments passed. I thought, this is the ugliest Naomi I've ever seen. But nonetheless, I said, could you take my picture? Yes. I'd be glad to do that. So he backs off, and he gets our picture. And by the way, it's a good picture. I I like the picture a great deal. How nutty do you have to be? I I don't care that his name is Naomi. That's, you know, if Johnny Cash's parents named him Sue, I guess you could name this boy Naomi, right? So I'm not concerned about the name, but I hope the poor lad did not believe Well, anyway, I want you to see this. Those who overcome that stupidity, that incredible insanity, those who do not buy into it and start kowtowing to it, get the picture. That's who lives in the city. That's your home. What he's going to describe to you in these next few verses is your home. It's made for you. Jesus prepared it for you, okay? Let me go on this last part. Verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let me say this. They are not going to live on the earth with a second chance. The chances are done. They're over with. The Alpha and the Omega has said it is finished. Are you with me? There are are no second chances. There are no, whoa, I didn't get it first time. Duh. That's the end. All right. Now watch who, who these are. The cowardly, will, those who will never live in this city. The cowardly who give up when going is tough. They're just not going to hold on. And when it's when it's easier to pursue a career and everything here and sell out whatever you have to so that you can have the career, that's called cowardly. You follow where I'm at? The unbelieving who are self-sufficient, they don't think they need anything. They don't need someone doing something for them. They don't want that grace the abominable who practice things that God hates. Proverbs chapter 6 says six things God hates and seven are an abomination to him. And that's a lying tongue, feet that are swift to shed blood. Well, you can read them all. They're in Proverbs chapter 6. All right. That's those who practice those things. Murderers who destroy the image of God. 
Listen, it's murder to destroy the image of God. If God has made you in a certain way, it's murder to destroy that. When I'm looking at someone else and I decide to call them a name, Jesus identified that as murder. Everybody with me? When I look at someone else and I think I'm better than they are, Jesus called that murder. Anything, any attempt to destroy the image of God is murder. All right? Let me go on further with you. Sexually immoral. By sexually immoral, it means those who pervert God's reproductive plan. Sex is about reproduction, kids. Plain and simple. Listen. It is made enjoyable so that you'll repeat the process. Why? He told you to replenish the earth and fill it with His glory. When we think the fun part is what we're supposed to keep doing over and over, we're perverting the reproductive plan. When there is a Planned Parenthood not far from here, it's because we're perverting the, the reproductive plan. You, you follow where I'm at? Listen, kids, when you turn the sexual experience to recreation instead of procreation, you're learning to pervert the reproductive plan. Everybody follow where I'm at? It was God who gives conception, not just sex. It's God that gives conception. Everybody with me on this? To be sexually immoral is to pervert that. When I am taking up a partner who is of the same gender I am, that's a perversion of it. That's sexually immoral. They will not live in that city. You follow me? There will not be a second chance. This is about practicing things that are wrong. Can there be repentance? Yes. Can there be forgiveness? Most definitely. Yes. This is about those who continue that practice. Everybody with me on this? Let me go further with you. Sorcerers who deceive people with drugs and demonic spirituality. Listen, it's sorcery when someone tries to tell you there's another way to get in touch with the all thinking through meditation, through any a number of things. That's sorcery. It's more so when it's using drugs to do it with. That's sorcery. Let me go further. Idolaters are those who worship the created things or that of their own imagination. They will not be in that city. All liars will not be in that city. Now, let's stop. Can we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. That's the invitation today. Because, frankly, kids, you'd find all of us right here. This, this is not some strange category for us. We all were once one of these ourselves. It was only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and following the Christ that you came away from this. Everybody understand what we're saying? But when you won't come away, when you stay in that same place, you've got to repent, friend, and you've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or your home is the lake of fire. That's not me trying to be scary about things. That's just telling you this is what the Word of God says. Everybody understand what it is? If I'm planning this, I probably wouldn't come up with this kind of a plan. I, I, I don't know. God is so far beyond anything I am, far beyond my imagination. This is a wonderful plan that he's got a plan for repentance and forgiveness. He's got a way for us to be in a right condition, to be in the right place. He wants people to live in that city. Do you understand where we're coming from? He wants to be with his people. He, he wants people to be on that earth that's been all restored, which we'll talk about another time. He wants it. Why put it off? Why not follow the plan of God? It makes so much more sense than the insanity of unbelief. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the way in which you have operated in us. You've told us the truth. You've given us the truth. 
Father, I ask that no one will be uh, uh, away from that city and that all within the hearing of this, uh, this message today will be those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and turn to him right now. Thank you, Father, that you are willing to forgive, to cleanse, to heal, and you want them in that city. Thank you for it all, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be fair with you. When I was speaking with Naomi, I introduced myself. I'm Doug. I don't, I don't know anything about Naomi. But I know this. God loves Naomi. God has a plan for Naomi too. God wants to, to make all of us a people who understand our times and understand how to apply those. I, I kept looking to see, is there a perfect vocation? Is there some perfect thing that's supposed to happen? Is there some perfect person we're supposed to be? And the answer is no. God made this gospel so that it's applicable everywhere. Whether you're in the military, whether you're a fisherman, whether you're a craftsman, whether you're a technician, it doesn't make any difference. What you're called to be is Christ in that vocation. I saw that what happened in Alaska, there's a lot of different people there. You've got to be a pretty unique person who happened to be in Alaska to live there. What I saw take place there was people who had formed a Christian community with multiple vocations. They had to do what they had to do to work, but they had multiple vocations. For us, let's be a people that know how to love other people. Let's not have a stranger. Let's, let's follow Wayne's example here. And let's go find all kinds of people and talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they're going to need more than anything else. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.